This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Simple, easy, one pan, one pot, you know, convenient. Probably at some point in time, people wanted elegant, how to throw a dinner party, sophisticated French desserts, that kind of stuff. That's not this year because, well, people did have extra time or some people had extra time to cook. They are sick of cooking. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll discuss how to age gracefully through supplements. We'll find out about the Holiday Cookbook Gift Guide. We'll learn about the treatment of carpal tunnel syndrome. And lastly, we'll explore whether COVID has changed the way we think about relationships. But first, a little bit of business. Omega Alpha is 100% Canadian-owned and has been GMP-certified for manufacturing to pharmaceutical standards since its inception in 1992. It uses only all-natural herbs, vitamins, and minerals in their formulations. The company is site-licensed for manufacturing nutraceuticals by the Natural Health Products Directorate, a division of Health Canada. They have four company divisions, both a consumer line and professional line of human products, equine pet health products, and a custom manufacturing private label division. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit their website at omegaalphainc.com. Omega Alpha's products are created by their scientific team, headed by their owner, operator, and CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Dr. Chang holds a PhD in physiology and biomedical engineering from the University of Toronto. He also has two years postdoctoral experience in clinical biochemistry, looking at free radicals and antioxidants. He's published over 20 peer-reviewed articles and conference proceedings, and he's a regular on this show. Welcome back, Gordon. How are you? Very good, Jamie. Thanks for having me on again. Always a pleasure. Today, we're going to talk about how supplements help us age gracefully. So let's just tee it up. What do you see as the role there? Well, here's my thinking on this. You know, we've always been told that the body's like a machine. And like any machine, we have to look after it. But if you think about it, really, we are a machine, but we are a self-repairing machine. So, for example, if you want to use the analogy that the body is like a car, well, you know, if the carburetor goes, and I'm dating myself by using the word carburetor, <laughs> right, you, yeah. you got to replace it. You buy the raw material outside, you get a mechanic, he fixes it. The car, the tires go, you replace the tires. But... You, with the human body, it doesn't work that way. The human body is self-repairing, right? We may go see the doctor, and the doctor says, well, this is wrong with you, that's wrong with you, and he might give you some medications for this or that. But the medications work with the self-repair mechanism of the body. And one of the things that we don't really talk about is that are we giving the body enough of its own raw materials to repair itself? Right. Okay. So as we grow older, one of the things that you see is that we have more breakdowns. And by that, I mean, if you look, as we get older, the stomach doesn't work as good. So maybe we're not digesting as good. We don't eat as much. So some raw materials are not there. We are very picky on what we eat. We eat less of one thing, more of another thing. So there's an imbalance in the raw materials coming into the body. So the idea I'd like to promote today is the fact that for self-repair to work, 
we have to make sure we give the right amount of raw materials to the body. That makes sense. So if that's true, if we should be making sure that we're giving the body the necessary raw materials, when should we start doing that? I think as soon as possible because there's no magic cutoff because, you know, we all age at different rates, right? right? There are people who, if you look at them uh, in their 60s, they look as if they're 40s. And then you, there's some people in their 60s, they've lived a hard life. You look at them and they're looking 70s, 80s, right? Yeah. So it depends on the individual. So, But my, my feeling is the earlier you start, the better off you are. And basically the idea with, with any type of supplementation, it's insurance, Right. For example, I, I look at people who have joint issues, pain in the in the joints, etc. Arthritis type issues. Right. The common reach for in the in the natural health world is you take glucosamine or you take chondroitin or the combination. But we also know for it to work, you, there's a whole host of behind the scenes biochemical mechanisms that have to come into play. People don't realize that if you want to rebuild the joint, for example. You need to have things like calcium, magnesium, copper, all right? You need to have selenium, zinc, and all those things are, is for the, the enzymes to work properly. And all those other things like the calcium, etc., are there to make sure that you have the right raw materials to rebuild the bone, etc., right? So if you get into the osteoporosis, same, same concept. You've got to have the raw materials. Now, I know people reach for the magic bullet, so they hear something like, oh, I have osteoporosis. And the doctor says, calcium, you need calcium. But you don't realize that calcium alone is not enough. You've got to have the vitamin D to go with it. And people say, oh, well, well, calcium and vitamin D. But then you don't realize you need to put in some of the other um, trace minerals because those little bit of trace minerals give the bone flexibility, right? So it gives the bone the ability to bend a little bit without snapping and breaking, right? Mm-hmm. And you also need the protein, right? People, as you get older, get less protein into their diet. So as a result of that, sometimes they're short on protein. You know, as we grow older, I mean, I, I want to talk about even things like cognitive health, right? Cognitive health, everybody is reaching for the magic bullet. They say, oh, you know, this is the latest and the greatest. So we'll try this for, for Alzheimer's. But again, there's a whole slew of behind-the-scenes things that you need to make sure it happens. So things like fatty acids, antioxidants, all of these things are necessary. Right? And I'm just touching on it there. The basic concept I'm trying to say for this, for this um, show or this segment is basically to say that there's no one magic bullet. So you've got to take a wide variety of things as supplements. And I know people are going to ask me, but Doc, which one should I take? Which one? Again, there's no magic bullet. Even the regular ones you need to take. Something as simple as water, right? You need to drink enough water. And one of the biggest things that I would like to also point out is, and I promote a lot of supplementation, but exercise is one of the best things to keep you going and keep you going strong, right? Exercise. And it's simple, it's free. And I'm sure you can agree with me on that one, right? And it's the easiest thing, but I know there's a lot of people just, don't want to exercise. You say, I want to do this. They want a magic pill in the bottle, right? And to me, exercise is one of the best things to keep your mind sharp, keep you younger, right? But again, we're fighting a a battle 
to, to, to stay young. This is why I tried to make this segment called Aging Gracefully. Yes, we've got to fight the aging process. Yes, there's a lot of things you can do to fight the aging process. But we also know that it's, whilst we're fighting it, we'll never become 15 again or we're not 20 gonna, again. We're not going to beat it, right? We're, we're not, not going to beat it. Age is going to catch up with you. You know, I look at it this way. You know, it's all interconnected. So if you exercise, you know, you're going to be efficient in, in the burning of the calories in the food. If you exercise, you're going to get a good night's sleep. If you get a good night's sleep, you're allowing the proper time frame and set up for your body to repair itself, which is where you started, right? And That's then it, correct. And then if you have the correct inputs, if you're eating correctly and you're supplementing correctly, well, then you're giving your body what it needs to do the repair work, maybe because you're feeling a bit stiff from, from doing the exercise. And I would add, yep. you know, like there's a huge difference between doing nothing and doing something. Not everybody has to be lifting weights, but you kind of got to get your, your ass off the couch and get <laughs> moving. Uh, and, and that, that's really that the key. Is, that is so true. But uh, again, we're, we're, as far as the supplementation goes, you yeah. also do realize you've got to have some supplementation because as we grow older, mm-hmm. right, your ability to absorb decreases, right? Yeah. Your, your ability to, to consume decreases. I mean, all of us as we grow older also know that when I was in my 20s, I would go into a buffet and the owner would cry because he knows that he's going to lose money. Right. On the other hand, when I walk in today, the owner is all smiles because he knows he's going to make money. And the reason <laughs> is I just can't eat as much. I can't digest as much. Right. Yeah. But the, the sad part about it is as we grow older, our need for nutrients also increase because we have more repair to do. Right. right? The body is getting older. And as the body is getting older, there's more things to repair. It's like having an old house. If it's not this, it's going to be that. That well, needs to be repaired. I was going to go back to your car analogy. Like, yeah. we're not under warranty anymore. Right? That's right. And so, you know, everything needs to be repaired. And again, yeah. on, with the concept of self-repair, I mean, the body is self-repairing. Yeah. Right, but it needs the raw material, and sometimes if you don't supply enough raw material, you get a sort of like a band-aid job that doesn't work properly. This is, you know, if you read some of the, the books, etc., some of the old Chinese authors would say, "You are what you eat," yep. and you literally don't know how true that is until you think about it. Makes sense. Let's focus on some specifics. Specifics, yes. So people, you know, one thing as we age, you know, we look in the mirror and we we think our skin gets wrinkly and, and, you know, we we don't have that young, lustrous look. Is there anything we can do to help with that? Definitely. For those things, you increase your intake of collagen. You increase your intake of vitamin C, bioflavonoids. Okay. You increase your intake of things like fatty acids. By that, I'm looking at omega-3s. All right, fish oil, right? Now, a lot of these supplements do more than one duty. Like I talk about, for example, collagen. It's great for the elasticity of the skin, but it's also great for joints also, right? It helps in that area, okay? I talk about omega-3s, right? Mm -hmm. Fish oils, right? Fish oil is also good for cognitive health in addition to skin, Right, and it also does a host of other duties, too numerous to mention sometimes. Like cardiovascular health, for example, is, is very good. You need fish oil for some of that. 
But again, it's not the only one thing. So eat and use a wide variety of things. I love to talk about antioxidants, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really truly believe in antioxidants, right? Because one of the ways that Mother Nature or or the world in general causes breakdowns in the body is through free radical mechanisms, right? And the biggest defense we have against free radical damage is through antioxidants, right? Again, free radicals are everywhere in the world. You can't hide from them. They're there. You need them for health, but you but they also do a lot of damage, right? So you need to have antioxidants basically at different levels to protect your body against free radicals. So, for example, let's talk about as we get older, macular degeneration occurs. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, there are antioxidants which specifically target the eye, the macular tissue, meaning that they're stored in the macular tissue. So things like lutein also stores in the macular tissue. Right, vitamin C, etc., are there. But if you say, if you say, well, all I need is one type, it doesn't work that way because, first of all, not all free radicals are annihilated by the same antioxidants. Right. So just one type of antioxidant is not going to do the trick. Right. And not all antioxidants are stored in the same place. Right. So lutein, we talk about lutein for the eyes, mainly because lutein tends to accumulate more in the macular tissue and in the eyes than, say, in the testes right, or the ovaries. Mm-hmm. So if you have a free radical attack at the level of the testes and the ovaries, then you need things like lycopenes. They seem to accumulate there more. So this is why you need to take a wide variety of antioxidants. That makes sense. Why should we take B vitamins? B vitamins is another thing. That's the powerhouse of the body. You know, we, we think of B, B vitamins, and this is just one of the, the things that they do, okay? I don't want to make it sound that this is the only thing that they do. Mm-hmm. B vitamins are very important in a generation of ATP. ATP is the thing that drives the activity in the body, right? Now, B vitamins is not the only thing that's important for the generation of ATP. There are things like pyruvate, right? There are things like coenzyme Q10. All those things are important, right? There's things like L-carnitine. All those things are important, right? So, again, just to say B vitamins is not doing justice to the story, mm-hmm. right? Because the reason you want ATP, let me back up here a little bit, something as simple as, you know, when the kidneys filter the blood, all the things like the protein comes out, sodium comes out, the potassium comes out, calcium, etc., comes out. Well, the kidneys have a way of reabsorbing all those things. That process of reabsorption is ATP. It works using ATP. So a lot of people, if you have, say, um, kidney issues, it's not a bad idea to take anything that generates more ATP. Right, so things that generate more ATP or helps in the generation of ATP are things like coenzyme Q10, your B vitamins, right, mm-hmm. your L-carnitine. So there are many roles that some of these things play. I was just going to go on a little bit about uh, something simple as um, blood sugar maintenance. Sure. You know, that's another story. But again, that is another talk <laughs> by itself. And I, and I know we're probably pushing up against time here. Well, I was going to ask you quickly, just, uh, you know, it's a good reminder for everybody, particularly as we transition into the shorter days to take the vitamin D3, right? Definitely. 
and just don't stop at one. Take a wide variety. So I guess my take-home message is look for products that have a wide variety of supplements, of ingredients, because they have one ingredient, the magic bullet, I think has come and gone. People have to realize that you need a wide variety of things. So, and the Sometimes a path of least resistance because I don't want to wake up in the morning and with a handful of pills. But but I do know that there are products out there that have a wide variety of ingredients as an all-in-one. Uh, it's a good way of getting it into you. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Jamie, for having me. And see you next month. That was Dr. Gordon Chang. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss the holiday cookbook gift guide on The Tonic. Hi, this is Jamie Buston of The Tonic. If you enjoy The Tonic talk show and podcast, you'll love The Tonic newsletter. With links to the podcast and articles from the magazine, the newsletter will also let you know about upcoming health and wellness events, curated articles from across the internet that expand on the health and wellness topics important to you. There's contests and prizes and so much more. Best of all, it comes directly to you. To subscribe, be sure to visit thetonic.ca. The Tonic newsletter, you know for what ails you. Did you know that if you walk or run and are out of alignment, you increase your chances of seriously injuring yourself? We're all athletes. Healthy, injured, pro, amateur, veteran, novice. Plantiga empowers you to perform better, recover faster, and build resilience through deeper understanding of how you move. Utilizing their sensor insoles, they measure your movement in detail, speed, gait, asymmetries, and so much more. Then you work one-on-one with a dedicated movement coach that gives you personalized insights and programming to help you achieve your goals, whether that's running a race or fending off that looming injury. To reach your potential and keep you in the game for as long as possible, register for the Plantiga Movement Health Program at plantiga.com slash beta. Gentlemen, are prostate problems spoiling your day or waking you up at night? Ladies, are you tired of these disruptions? Discover Prostate Perform. Formulated with clinically proven natural ingredients, Prostate Perform helps reduce the frequency and urgency of men's bathroom breaks. Why wait? Prostate Perform relieves symptoms of BPH in men so you can both get back to enjoying your favorite activities. Available exclusively at quality health food stores. To learn more, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. And to ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. In addition to being a lawyer, my next guest has been writing for Tonic Magazine for many, many years. Since 2015, she's written the very popular cookbook review column, My Wife Naomi. Hi, sweetheart. Hi. So today, this is my favorite episode of all the ones that we do with you because it's the holiday cookbook gift guide where you get to talk about a bunch of books, okay? Exactly. It's a holiday spirit, giving good books, presents for yourself or for me or for anybody. Yeah. If one were inclined to give you a present, yes. <laughs> yes. I have a lot of cookbooks, though. Yes, you so do. This is maybe best for other people. And from my perspective, it's just fun to look at them all and choose the ones that I like. So, Share that knowledge with of course. All of you. Well, that's why you're here, because mm-hmm. of your vast collection and knowledge. <laughs> and not because you're my wife. So what trends are you seeing with cookbooks? Because there's always trends. Yeah, there's always trends. And I, I, I feel like this is, you know, it could be like a sociological experiment, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, um, when we all reflect on what happened during the pandemic, the cookbooks are going to be a good, you know, a piece of 
evidence about what people were thinking and what they were interested in doing. And, you know, there's definitely trends that I'm seeing this year, and they and they overlap, too, of course. So there might be one book that has all the trends yeah. in different ways. So one thing that I'm seeing is everything is simple, you know, simple easy, one pan, one pot, you know, convenient. Probably at some point in time, people wanted elegant, you know, elegant dinners, how to throw a dinner party, sophisticated French desserts, that kind of stuff. That's not this year because, well, people did have extra time or some people had extra time to to cook. They are sick of cooking. And, you know, there's a lot of benefits to cooking at home even as we move forward in, you know, being able to go out more. But I think people want simple. Yeah, I think there's a fatigue, right? Like Mm -hmm. we've all been forced to cook for ourselves. And you and I already do that, right? Like we do a fair bit of cooking for for a lot of people. This was brand spanking new. and And I think, you know, we were all of the view. We were running sprints. We were actually running a marathon. And now we're coming off a marathon of cooking for ourselves. And it's no wonder people want to cook simply and quickly. Yeah, exactly. They may think, okay, now I can go out yep. more, but I'm still going to do some cooking or go back to cooking or, you know, or yep. I'm going to cook as I always did, but now I'm just sick of it. So I want something that's simple. So which cookbooks do you recommend in that regard? So one of them, and I talked about this on the show at some point last year, no recipe recipes, <laughs> this idea of recipes that aren't, you know, they don't have all the specific measurements and details that regular recipes have. And, you know, it's, it's a different mindset. In fact, you like to cook without recipes. So it's like somebody who likes to cook without recipes then creating a book of ideas for, you know, which are flexible then. So No Recipe Recipes by Sam Sifton of the New York Times is a collection of these recipes, because that's what they are, just without all the details, give you give you inspiration. So you don't want to be pinned down, but you do actually not sure what to do with that can of black beans. So you look in this book and you can find some answers. And, you know, it's not completely uh, flying blind. There's you know, weeknight fried rice, for example. And in the ingredient list, it's cooked rice, frozen diced vegetables, any meat or tofu, eggs, garlic, ginger, scallions, soy, sesame, you know, that kind of thing. It doesn't tell you how much in the list. But then within the body, it does say, you know, a tablespoon of this or a teaspoon of this. This should be about right. So it's flexible. Now, some people would find that very alarming. You know, just tell me what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't like that. But other people would say, great, you know. I I like being able to pick and choose. So it depends on who this book is for. I thought it was a fun idea, something different. Mm -hmm. What's next? Molly Baz, who used to work for Bon Appetit magazine, has written a cook this book techniques that teach and recipes to repeat. And this is very popular, very modern, fun recipes. They're QR codes along with the recipes so that if you want to know what she talks about, what she means when she says chop it this way, you use your phone and it'll immediately connect you to a video of her doing that chopping. Oh, that's very Uh, cool. Yeah, so it's very cool, and you know, for people who are young and used to using their phone for that thing, like it's it's a way it saves space in the book, and you know just makes it more interactive as though she's there with you. And the recipes were all like very strong and flavorful. We made marinated lentils with nuts and feta, and we also made her 
which she calls cold and crunchy green beans with a garlicky pistachio vinaigrette. Both were great, like very flavorful, not hard to do, where her instructions are clear. Like, she, you know, she'll tell you, put in a cup of salt, you know, when you're cooking the green beans. Yes, that's right. That's what I mean. Really use that much. It won't be too salty. So she's kind of anticipating your, you know, your thinking and being very clear about it. And so far, everything we made was great. Agreed. Anything else on this list? Another one that I just wanted to mention, Conveniently Delicious by Devin Connell. She's from Toronto, and it's important to support local. Devin Connell is a Toronto chef and caterer. She has a website called This Is Crumb. This is her her book. And I just love these recipes. It covers both, you know, everyday weeknight cooking and entertaining, lots of vegetables, bright flavors, stuff like sheet pan salmon with chickpeas and basil olive salsa, or baked pasta with mushroom and leeks, caramelized cabbage with peanuts, green onion, and soy. So we made that recipe last night because caramelized cabbage. Cabbage is the new cauliflower, which was the new kale or whatever, but caramelized cabbage is, is clearly everywhere and it is good. So lots of things to try that aren't complicated, but are, you know, kind of healthy-ish and tasty. Okay, so speaking of the new cauliflower and the new cabbage, (laughs) I know that plant-based recipes are obviously immensely popular. So are there cookbooks that help with those? So many. You know, there are so many. I, I couldn't even list you know, a quarter of the ones that I've seen. But here are the ones that spoke to me. It's one called The Weekday Vegetarians by a woman named Jenny Rosentrack. Now, this is about, uh, they, they are not vegetarians seven days a week, but they decided to be vegetarian during the week. And this is focused on cooking for kids, cooking for a family. What I liked about it is that she gives you tips about how to do this, like like not just the recipes, but how do you get people who are used to eating meat to eat less of it or eat vegetarian meals, including kids. For example, using a hook to make one component of the meal something that everybody is really going to love, like macaroni and cheese, so that if they don't love, they're a bit concerned about trying the tofu, well, they'll be excited about the macaroni and cheese. Or, you know, use the flavors that you already cook and like. So just good ideas for how to actually make it happen as opposed to just just the recipes. Mm -hmm. Another one, which is just focusing on vegetables themselves, you know, sides, not mains, but Vegetables Simple by Eric Repair. He's an acclaimed chef of the Le Bernardin restaurant in New York. Even though his food there is quite high-end and expensive, in this book it's focused on his French background, simple techniques focusing on the vegetables themselves. Beautiful pictures, simple recipes. For vegetable lovers, this is a good one. Another one, To Asia with Love, a Hetty McKinnon, is a vegetarian cookbook. Delicious. Tons of flavor. All your Asian flavors that you know and love, but vegetarian. Mm-hmm. Lots of uh, lots of good ideas. We made soba noodles, or you actually made the soba noodles, with the sesame paste dressing, mm-hmm. which was great. It was a little bit different from what we would usually make, but uh, really liked it. Yep. And then another thing to mention is the really great vegan takes on some specific cuisines that you wouldn't necessarily think would be adaptable to veganism. One called The Korean Vegan by Joanne Molinero and one called Provecho by Edgar Castrachan. Castrachan, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right. And so both of these are, one's Korean, one's Mexican. They're immigrant families 
who grew up eating a certain way, became vegan, and wanted to recreate those flavors but make them vegan. And that's not necessarily easy or intuitive. And so these cookbooks are really focused on how how to get those flavors and make classic dishes but plant-based. And so the, both of them also have beautiful pictures and, you know, easy recipes. I would note, though, that with both of them, you, you need some of the ingredients you might need to get from specialty stores or order them from Amazon. Depends where you live. Okay, so we have time for one more area. Do you want to do baking or do you want to do global influences? Mm, that's a tough one. Let's talk about baking okay. because that's my favorite. I know. La Dolce Evita by Letitia Clark is Italian desserts. And I wouldn't necessarily have thought that those would, you know, that those would stand out, but they really did because everything, it was all my favorite flavors, almonds, fruit, olive oil, ricotta, coffee, chocolate. Um, There's gelato, there's cakes, there's tarts, there's cookies. Um, Again, fun-looking recipes, not too complicated, um, really evocative of Italy and those flavors. Mm-hmm. Another one, Sweet, Salty, and Simple by Dory Greenspan. I've talked about Dory Greenspan And your before. love for Dory, yes. I know. And this was a really good one. This is new and updated recipes. And it really struck me this one was very modern because it's the sweet and salty flavors together that everybody now recognizes as just great. Also note that it's also called simple, like everything else. There's alternative flowers like rye in the chocolate cookies or miso maple loaf. Like those, you wouldn't find those recipes five years ago, certainly not 10 years ago. So it's her, some of her classics, but new twists on them. And that's a good one to recommend as well. Well, thank you. And, you know, we didn't get to everything we wanted to today, but you wrote a great article for the magazine that is now live online. So if people want to look into more and different cookbooks, they should go there. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're welcome. That was Naomi Bussin. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss the treatment of carpal tunnel syndrome on The Tonic. Did you know that if you walk or run and are out of alignment, you increase your chances of seriously injuring yourself? We're all athletes. Healthy, injured, pro, amateur, veteran, novice. Plantiga empowers you to perform better, recover faster, and build resilience through deeper understanding of how you move. Utilizing their sensor insoles, they measure your movement in detail, speed, gait, asymmetries, and so much more. Then you work one-on-one with a dedicated movement coach that gives you personalized insights and programming to help you achieve your goals, whether that's running a race or fending off that looming injury. To reach your potential and keep you in the game for as long as possible, register for the Plantiga Movement Health Program at plantiga.com beta. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Dr. Aaron Boynton, or Dr. B, is an orthopedic surgeon with a unique approach to musculoskeletal pain, blending both the art and science of medicine. 
As the first female orthopedic surgeon to work in the MLB and NHL, she has had an extensive experience in dealing with overuse or wear and tear injuries. Welcome back to the show, doctor. How are you? Doing great, Jamie. How are you today? I'm good. You know, I spend a lot of time in front of the computer. I never envisioned, you know, I I was originally a lawyer and I was convinced, I told everybody, this will date me. I was convinced I was just going to dictate everything and, and my secretary would do all the typing. <laughs> and, and I found out very quickly that that's not the case. That's not the way the practice of law works. And for most of my adult life, I've been on a computer typing. And that sort of carried forward to the magazine now. And, and I think a lot of people are on their computer. And that leads to carpal tunnel syndrome, right? Absolutely. It is a really challenging issue that I'm hearing about more commonly because people, particularly with the pandemic and COVID, have been just sitting in front of their computers and, and not doing much else. Right. So for those who don't know, what is carpal tunnel syndrome? So carpal tunnel syndrome is a condition that affects one of the large nerves along the front of the wrist. It's called the median nerve. And this nerve travels through the carpal tunnel, which is a very rigid, narrow passageway that is comprised of ligament and bone. And the tendons that bend our fingers go through this tunnel with the median nerve. And if anything makes this tunnel smaller or compresses the tunnel, then the median nerve itself becomes compressed and gets very uncomfortable and not happy. So what are the symptoms? If you have carpal tunnel syndrome, what are you experiencing? Well, the most common symptoms are numbness and tingling in the thumb and the index finger associated with pain. It starts out with um, kind of a odd sensation. You feel like you need to shake your hand, uh, particularly during the night, to try and relieve this sensation. If you ignore it, then the symptoms can progress and you'll develop weakness around your thumb, trouble gripping, and you'll feel like your fingers are swollen. And eventually the pain in your hand can radiate up your arm. So it's not really very pleasant. I would imagine. So when people come to your office and they, you know, they think they might have it, how do you go about diagnosing it? From the history, so the symptoms of the numbness and tingling uh, and weakness in the hand. Yep. In addition, I will look at their neck. You want to rule out other possible causes because if you have, say, a pinched nerve in your neck, that can cause numbness and tingling in your hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I will look for signs of atrophy of the muscles in the thumb, and I'll test the sensation. Basically, all of the fingers in the hand, with the exception of your baby finger, can be affected. And then we can do some stress the median nerve. You can tap on the nerve. That's called Tonell sign. And when you tap right over the nerve, it can cause a tingling or shooting pain in your hand. Another thing is called Phelan's test, where you can press on the nerve and then flex the wrist, and that can create the numbness in your thumb and your finger. So we'll do some physical examination testing, and then we can get an x-ray to see if there's any arthritis or previous fractures that can shrink the space. Uh, We can get an ultrasound to look at the size and shape of the nerve itself. And then finally, we can do uh, EMG nerve conduction studies, which are not very pleasant, but the doctor will examine the conduction of the nerve impulses along the median nerve and determine whether or not the nerve is being compressed in the carpal tunnel. Hmm. Okay. So are there specific risks? Are people more prone to get carpal tunnel syndrome than others? 
for sure. Women are three times more likely than men to get carpal tunnel syndrome, but usually it's a combination of things. Pregnancy, for example, can lead to increased fluid in in our extremities, and that can shrink the size of the carpal tunnel and, and lead to carpal tunnel syndrome. People who have diabetes can also have effects on the peripheral nerves and have carpal tunnel syndrome. People with rheumatoid arthritis, following a fracture, people are susceptible. And then also what you brought up uh, earlier in the show, doing repetitive work, sitting at your computer with your arms in a slightly flexed position and using your fingers. And people that particularly use vibration tools are susceptible to carpal tunnel syndrome. If you happen to have carpal tunnel syndrome and you don't deal with it, what are the ramifications of that? It can actually uh, become quite problematic. The issue with the nerves is if you leave them compressed for too long uh, a period of time, then you can have permanent changes in the nerve itself. So even though you may have it decompressed in the future, you may not regain strength or you may not regain sensation. So it's important that when you start to develop these symptoms that you pay attention to them and and deal with them. Okay. So I know there's sort of like, I wouldn't say they're old wives tales or, you know, folk remedies, but you know, there's some things that people think of when they have carpal tunnel syndrome. I'm going to ask you, you tell me if it makes sense. So squeezing a ball, is that going to help? It doesn't really. And you would think intuitively that strengthening the muscles, if you're feeling weak, you know, you'd want to squeeze a ball, that that would help. But the problem is, is that all of the tendons that are going through the carpal tunnel are the ones that are responsible for the squeeze. And you actually have to do the opposite. You have to extend your fingers. You have to try to extend and expand your hand to stretch the ligament that covers the carpal tunnel to make more space. Okay. What about supporting the wrist by putting it in a brace or a splint? Does that make sense? Actually, the night splints in particular can be helpful because they give the nerve a bit of breathing space. I don't know about you, but when I'm sleeping at night, I tend to curl up my fingers and my wrists and I tuck them under my chin. And so, you know, when you sleep in that position all night long, you're basically adding additional pressure and compression to the nerve. So the idea of the splint is that you put it on so that you keep your wrist straight and you don't have that added compression. And, And that can make quite a big difference. Okay, so I'm going to ask a surgery question, okay? (laughs) Is surgery the best treatment for carpal tunnel syndrome? Absolutely. (laughs) Actually, you should try the splints. You should try stretching and some maybe some anti-inflammatories to deal with any inflammation that could be in the carpal tunnel before you jump to surgery. But if these treatments don't work, then surgery can be highly effective. Okay, before we explore surgery a bit more, I I wanted to ask you about ergonomics. Like I find if I have like a rest for my wrist when I'm Mm -hmm. doing the typing and and I position properly in my chair and I'm sitting properly, that tends to relieve my arms a bit. Do you recommend that, having somebody come in and have a look at the way you're working? It's a great point to bring up, and I would. I think that a lot of it has to do with posture and supporting your wrist and making sure that your wrist isn't too flexed or bent when you're doing your typing is important. So that wrist support actually just allows your your wrist to go into a bit of extension. And when we think about the median nerve, it comes off of the spinal cord way up at your neck. And if you have poor posture at your neck and because of positioning of your computer or your workstation, then a little bit of pressure on the nerve roots up in the neck can also have an effect down lower on the on the carpal tunnel. We call it a double crush syndrome. Yeah. So before you run off and have uh, someone cut your arm open, I would have I would I would rather have them cut your desk and 
or you know organize that first okay so let's say you unfortunately have carpal tunnel syndrome how long does it typically take to resolve you know given the methods you've recommended so if you start out with the splints you should notice a big difference within four to six weeks okay and if you're noticing a difference then i would carry on with that form of treatment and do your exercises, your stretching exercises uh, on top of that. If you're not noticing a big difference, then I would be checking in with your doctor to potentially get the EMG nerve conduction studies and really get to the bottom line of, you know, why you have your um, your nerve symptoms. One thing that you can consider if you get to the point where you're not responding to non-surgical and you're wary about having an operation is is cortisone. And we talk about cortisone a lot on the show. And this is a case where it can be quite effective because you put the cortisone into the carpal tunnel area and it can decrease any inflammation, which will provide a bit more space and breathing room for the for the nerve itself. So before you go rushing off to to surgery, I would try these other things. But on the flip side, you don't want to wait so long that you've got permanent nerve damage. So I would be giving it sort of three to six months maximum before I considered doing surgery. Okay. So let's say, for example, we're in that threshold where we need surgery. What actually is involved in the process? So there's two different types of surgery. There's one where uh, a little incision is made over the front of the wrist, and it's usually done under a local anesthetic, which is nice as a day surgery. And then the surgeon releases the ligament that's covering the carpal tunnel itself, and that just creates more room for for the tendons and for the nerve. The other way of doing it is called endoscopic. So two little tiny incisions are made and the surgeon actually inserts a scope and they can visualize the same ligament which is released then percutaneously. And there really isn't a huge difference in the results of either of these procedures. And I would recommend to people if they're going for for surgery that they pick somebody who has done a gazillion of them and is very experienced and just go with whatever method they recommend. Well, that's great advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, it's my pleasure, Jamie. It's really great to be here. That was Dr. Aaron Boynton. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Hi, I'm Jamie Buston. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show and podcast, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's a health and wellness publication distributed with the Globe and Mail to each and every home subscriber in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. And it can be found free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA. You can learn more about Tonic Magazine at tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, check out the new look of Tonic Magazine. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Carlisle Jansen is a sex therapist and founder of Good For Her, Toronto's premier sexuality store and workshop centre. She's the author of two books, including Sex Yourself, and you can find her educational videos and TED Talk at carlislejansen.com. 
She can be contacted directly at Carlisle at goodforher.com. Welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you? Hello, I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing well. You know what's really exciting, Carlisle? Like we're getting to the point where we can like start referring to COVID in the past tense. Whether mm-hmm. that's actually true or not, I think we're trying to put it <laughs> trying to put it in our rearview mirror. And I'm really interested. I, I know you've got your your you know your finger on the pulse of this. I'm really interested to hear how COVID has changed how we think about relationships because it's impacted mm-hmm. so much of the rest of our lives. I'm sure it's impacted our relationships. Is that true? For sure. For sure. I mean, it has, I mean, you know, lockdown in and of itself (laughs) meant that we were cut off from or trapped almost in relationships. So it certainly has been impacted as, you know, as one of the many ways that COVID and as we move out of it, I think is, is, is interesting to reflect back on. Makes sense. Let's talk about people's roles in relationships and, and how COVID may have impacted that. Yeah. So, you know, uh, one of the things that I find interesting is that a Pew Research study looked uh, just in March 2021 that 89% of Americans said there was one negative change in their lives with a smaller share, but still 73% of people said there was one unexpected upside. Now, in terms of demographics, Younger and more educated Americans were likely to say that there were silver linings, while women were more likely than men to mention sort of challenges or difficulties. Mm -hmm. So in terms of lockdowns and isolation, for some relationships, that brought them closer. They had less travel. They didn't have outside interference. They could really focus on their relationships. And I certainly saw this in my practice for the first three or four months for some of my clients. Mm -hmm. Um, But on the con side, some people were then too lonely, right? Especially people who live by themselves. Um, Or even in relationships, when there were rifts that arose, they felt lonely, even though they were with a partner and or other people in the house. Older folks felt more isolated. Um, they don't use technology for connection. They miss their, you know, whatever, right? Like gatherings and groups and hangouts. Young folks are good on social media, but ironically, sometimes social media can make you feel connected in ways, but sometimes you feel kind of more lonely in the end. Yep, absolutely. It's good if you have a well-defined group, but it can be isolating if you feel like you're still the other, I think. Yeah, and if you don't really connect on a deeper level, it's all very surface. You're just sort of, you know, talking about surface level. I think then you don't feel connected. What other trends are you seeing? So there were issues around routine. So for some people, a slower pace of life because they didn't have to commute, (laughs) because they didn't have after-school activities for their kids or for themselves. For some people, that meant they could focus on what was important to them, whereas for many other people, then they didn't have regular activities. They They couldn't work out the way they wanted to. They couldn't socialize the way that they wanted to. And so that routine, loss of routine was a big loss. And one of the things, unfortunately, that happened was that where, um, in particular, people had kids, those gender roles that have been there for many centuries and were, were trying to make them more equal in heterosexual relationships, women tended to pick up more slack in the household. They were also more likely the ones to quit work if they needed to in order to look after the kids. And so those were, you know, some of the routines that really shifted. And of course, if you have to leave work, then that's 
you know, really an impact also financially, which can be a big stress. Yeah, no, I, I think women really got uh, the short end of the stick during mm-hmm. COVID if mm-hmm. you had kids. Uh, mm-hmm. Anecdotally, I was hearing of a lot of people who, as you said, had to make different work arrangements because they were responsible for entertaining the kids who are no longer going to school, who are maybe struggling to learn online. And you yeah. know, people had to take leaves of absence and that impacts yeah. your career and your self-worth and all those for things, sure. right? Yeah. Well, especially with little kids, right? Like my kids were in high school, so it wasn't so, so bad. But I mean, you can't, you know, just have a three and a five-year-old, you know, on their own. It's it's really disruptive. So it's hard choices. What about health? What was the impact on people's health? So for some, they had healthier eating because they had time to cook. They had time for exercise if they could do things on their own or online. For some, there was less stress. But of course, for many other people, there was more stress. Loss of loved ones is a very big reality in a world where many people died in this pandemic. Um, Depression um, around being ill, um, losing work, friends, being lonely. So, you know, those lead to declining physical health. And then, of course, the increased stress for some people, losing your job, uh, financial struggles, So some people, it was a little bit better, and in particular, people who are college-educated, higher salary, who could work from home, they could have more of a work-life balance, those people fared better. Um, The people who didn't do so well and couldn't have a good work-life balance were people who are generally not as college-educated or highly educated, or people who were in healthcare, educators, essential workers who had to go in, be on the front lines. You know, I can't imagine what it's like to be faced with, you know, who's in my space today who might be infected, you know, and then what am I going to take home to my family? Or being totally overworked. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, it goes without saying that these are all stresses that would negatively impact all your relationships, right? Like if, Completely. If, if you have all these worries, I yeah. mean, let alone finances, right? I mean... I mean, there's a real dichotomy there. People who had money were still able to do the things that they wanted to do and, you know, still made the arrangements, but people who didn't, it's a real sea change. Yeah, absolutely. Some people were able to save money. They weren't traveling, spending money in the same ways. And other people, especially if you've lost your job, you know, or lost your business, the number of businesses that went under, you know, it's heartbreaking. I noticed, you know, I have kids, uh, late teens or early to mid twenties, and I was noticing how it impacted their social lives, right? At a time when mm. they would be, you know, some yeah. of them, were, you know, were, should have been away at school and, you know, meeting people or getting yeah. together with their peers. And that was totally stunted. And I would imagine that's what you saw too. Yeah. And those are really important social development milestones. Yeah, of um, course. You know, like you're learning how to go out on your own. You're learning how to deal with substance use. You're dealing with dating. You're dealing with relationships, you know, becoming responsible, challenging norms. All of those things were really disrupted for many people. So what's happening with dating in general? That's with young people. But but what are you finding? So, you know, people are much more comfortable with online dating than they were before Mm -hmm. because it was sort of a necessary reality. And so people have become much more upfront about what they're looking for. They're getting to know people faster. 
they're putting out what they want, what they don't want, and they're able to kind of get a sense of people's values, even with questions such as, like, how do you feel about vaccinations? Or are you vaccinated? Or, you know, are you comfortable with indoor dining, right? You can mm-hmm. learn a lot about someone from just those questions. Sure. Um, so people who are curious, who are willing to be interested in others, Asking others, you know, what's the hardest thing about COVID, sharing of their own perspectives means that you can get to know people relatively quickly and then you can be kind of honest, right? The other thing with online dating is that if it's not working for you, it's a lot easier to send a text message and say, you know, thanks for the time. It was really nice to meet you but I'm not sure there's enough chemistry or I'm not sure this is going to work. Whereas, you know, some people end up a few dates in and then they're like, how do I get out of this, right? So certainly I think people have become better and more efficient at dating. Makes sense. So all this, all these factors, you know, must be the anxiety, the rage, you know, the isolation must be impacting people's sex lives. Must be, right? For sure. For sure. I mean, anxiety is not good for sex. Nope. Um, and so certainly anxiety can come out as anger. Yep. Um, it can definitely impact our libidos. And we can have struggles with erections, with orgasms. Unfortunately, we also saw a rise in domestic abuse during mm. COVID because people have more stress and they don't have as many outlets. So that has been a negative impact on relationships in many different ways. Yeah, I know from my uh, lawyer friends who practice in the family mm-hmm. law, a lot higher divorce rates, a lot more dissatisfied family units, that's for sure. Yeah, and, you know, one of the most common reasons for divorce is financial struggle. And yeah. certainly that's, there's been an increase in financial struggles in many households, plus the change in daily routines. You're, like, on top of each other day in, day out. You don't have any respite. Any kind of small challenges you might have become bigger and bigger because you can't escape them. And, you know, also uncertainty about the future. You know, when is this going to end? Are we going to get sick? Will my business grow back? Will you get a job again? You know, all of these um, have contributed to lots of stress. And, and yeah, divorce has gone higher, which is really, really unfortunate also. I think maybe the, the, the biggest plus to things opening up again is that it will allow couples who have spent perhaps more time than they're used to spending together to go and do things off on their own. And, and maybe that's okay, For sure. you know, and, yes. and maybe that's the silver lining. Yeah, I think people value their time apart from each other as well as dating each other again, right? Getting out of the house and nurturing that relationship as well as other relationships so that we're not relying on our partner exclusively for all of our needs to be met. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Gordon Chang, Naomi Bussin, Dr. Aaron Boynton, and Carlisle Jansen. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us on It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. The November-December issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our new website, thetonic.ca. 
If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at the tonic.ca. Next week on the show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.